I'm Noah. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to Product Journey. Good morning, Kevin. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm pretty fine. And I just realized, is it actually morning for you? <laughs> it is 12 o'clock, so it is noon. Okay, okay. And uh, dear listeners, as you already realized, uh, this is not Noah talking. <laughs> Because he's having some baby troubles. Um, I'm actually here with Kevin Conti, founder of Coder Notes, um, and most recently SoftwareIdeas.io, um, with which you have recently passed 1.5k MRR. Is that right? Yeah, we hit that, or I hit that uh, yesterday or two days ago. That's exciting. Yeah, it's been crazy. It's definitely been a crazy ride, and and very different compared to my first experience with Coder Notes. You wanna like? Uh, introduce a little bit of what you're doing with software ideas yeah yeah sure so uh it's such a long story but the the basic core of it is software ideas is a paid newsletter that goes out weekly for individuals who are actively searching for their next uh, business idea or software idea what i do is i look at companies that are either enterprise level, so they're doing enterprise sales. A lot of times they're VC backed, so they have a lot of funding and they need to go for that big profit or a big revenue, I should say. Or they're just companies that have bootstrap, but now they're playing in that um, enterprise space. And I look at, you know, who can't they serve very well? What niches um, can they not cater to because they kind of have to go for the general market? Yeah. And I write about those opportunities and I do three a week, one in each newsletter or three in each newsletter once a week. And uh, so far, it's just had pretty positive responses all the way around. Yeah, I've read a few. and I've, I've got to say I was pretty impressed by how in-depth they were. I think I actually saw the first ones on Indie Hackers. Is that kind of how you got started with them? Oh, yeah. So... This whole thing was, I never meant to make this product really. Like, <laughs> so what what happened was I launched CoderNotes.io. And if anyone doesn't know, it's a note-taking platform for software developers. So I'm a software developer and I found myself constantly like just needing a quick reference to something. And I wanted a smart search that was better than just like searching for the actual word. So I built something for myself, scratched my own itch, built that over five months and launched it to like number two on product hunt and a lot of cool accolades, which it was actually a good thing because those, all that traffic turned into very few sales altogether. So yeah, so I was, I was doing that and I said, man, I've learned so much from this past five months from this launch. I, I wasn't sure at the time, as recently as a month ago, I wasn't sure like, do I pivot coder notes? Like, is that the play I need to make? Um, cause it was doing like 50, 60 MRR or something like that. Do I need to, or should I start fresh with something new? During that time, I felt like I had learned a lot, especially about how to validate an idea. And I decided, you know, I want to like explore both at the same time. So I started doing this research um, for myself. And what I was doing was I was, I didn't want to build something in an industry or in a market where there was no money. Like that was (laughs) some, uh, that was part of the problem with coder notes Uh, There are some companies that do like code snippets that do make money, but it's pretty hard to do. And most software developers aren't like if you go talk to an average software developer, they're not paying for a snippet solution. Yeah, yeah. So I really wanted to avoid that. So I was trying to brainstorm like, okay, how do I find like markets that make money? I was like, well, I'm employed by one of them. That's my day job. So (laughs) why don't I start looking at job boards to like start to understand markets and 
like if they can hire 300 employees, then clearly they're doing something right. And maybe I can find a niche in those opportunities. So that's where this whole thing started. I started doing research on job boards and then I was doing it for myself. I was trying to find my next SaaS opportunity. Um, but as I was doing it, I kind of realized, hey, this, you know, actually is pretty valuable stuff. Like I go pretty far in depth. Let me share this around and just see if people are interested in it. And I did. And a lot of people were saying, you know, just said, this is really cool. If you go even more in depth than what you're doing here with some resources and some links and things like that, then, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in this product. I said, oh, but that's awesome. And basically from there, like, uh, there's a couple other things I did that we can talk about the pre-sales, which I think were really important to it. But as far as the indie hacker posts that you're talking about, yeah, that's what that was. I was trying to just establish a proof of concept. I was like, is this something that people find valuable? And if so, like, let's see if it gets some upvotes. Yeah. So that, that kind of acted as your first validation then that you could actually build a product around that, I guess. That's pretty cool. So that must have been a pretty hard decision though, because you already had coding notes going and you were not so super sure, like you had some revenue going with it, but then not enough to like sustain itself probably. How did you really come to a conclusion there? Like, how did you make that decision? Yeah. And in hindsight, it's so easy to talk about <laughs> like, oh, it was so obvious, right? Like, you know, it's just clear as day what to do. But up until I think the last podcast on on my podcast, I'm talking about here's how I'm going to pivot coder notes. Like, here's how I'm going to do this and that. And, it, you know, it's super unclear at the time. So, you know, I one thing I talk about having learned from the whole experience of building coder notes was when people talk about scratching your own itch, I think a lot of times they mean one of two completely different things. Uh, there's scratching your own itch with like what I did for coder notes, which means build something that you yourself want to see out in the world, which, you know, is cool. Like I use coder notes every day. I love it for my own use case. So there's, there's that, but that's not what makes a profitable company. Uh, the other thing when people say scratch your own itch, what they mean is, you know, if you or your company was going out looking for a product to buy and they couldn't find it, and then you go build the thing that your company would have wanted to buy, that's a, a much better example of scratching your own itch. There you're saying, okay, we kind of proved validation, we've proved market interest by the fact that we and maybe some of our close like uh, colleagues that we talked to really wanted this thing, would have bought it, but we just couldn't find it or we found a subpar version of it. So it's more like fill, fill a gap that you're seeing. <laughs> so, oh yeah, so Noah's here again. I, I was having some baby troubles, but uh, we got it figured out. I'm back, <laughs> uh, so we're all good. Um, so yeah, Kevin, I was just thinking, I think it's really interesting with the how you're thinking about the scratch your own itch uh, kind of idea. Um, Cause you know, that is kind of advice that, you know, a lot of people give, you know, like build something that's your own problem kind of thing. And I do think there's a lot of indie hackers that get into a problem or an issue with that because they're trying to scratch their own itch, but a lot of indie hackers, you know, won't pay for things. And so then, you know, you end up building something that people won't pay for because indie hackers don't really pay for much software and stuff. And so I was wondering what you thought about that with, so I guess one of my things I've kind of come to conclusion in is that indie hackers are not, you know, or, or, you know, or really, you know, uh, entrepreneurs getting started, bootstrappers aren't a great audience to sell to unless what you're doing is more like a info product or like a, 
or even like an email newsletter, is that something you've kind of seen, you know, even with doing software ideas um, that makes sense? Yeah, that's that's my gut too. Like so many indie hacker bootstrapper types, they're like, all right, I want to scratch my own itch. Like, what do I want? And then they go and build it. But every indie hacker, every bootstrapper is also playing in that same field. So it's either super competitive or like, why didn't they go mm-hmm. buy the solution that already existed because they don't want to spend money to your point. So the way I've been thinking about product validation now is I've been breaking it up into assumptions, right? So if I have an idea of like a niche, I'll go and break down. Here's all the assumptions I have about that, that if they were false would kill my business. So some of the things for the newsletter was one of those things was like indie hackers are not willing to pay money for like content like this, like market research, basically. Yeah. And I had to go explore that. And the way I did that was like doing pre-sales. I said, okay, I'm going to reach out to, well, so the way I did it was, uh, Ben already mentioned the Indie Hacker posts I did. So what I was trying to do yeah, was yeah. kind of follow Harry Styles from Marketing Examples example and post content, provide value. And then what I said at the bottom was like, hey, if you're interested in this, I'm doing another issue to people who reach out to me. Uh, just send me an email. Here's my email address. Out of that, I think about 35 people emailed me. And I just talked to them and tried to get an understanding of basically who they are, who they were, what their attributes were. And from there, I started testing those assumptions. So I was like, you know, hey, I'm going to do the first month, like, uh, for people who sign up, you can get in on that for $19. It'll be one month, like, no recurring subscription. And is that something that interests you? And my whole thought process was like, well, if 10 out of 100 people say yes to that at the pre-sale, like, with no product yet, really, except for a post, that's good enough for me to say there's interest. Yeah, uh, it turned out that there, ten out of thirty-five people said yes. So the conversion rate was great wow. on that, and that really convinced me to go ahead with the idea. But I did that for everything. So publishing that post to Indie Hackers was also a validation of an assumption, right? It was, hey, like Indie Hackers care about this content. They would, you know, if I'm sharing this kind of content with them, they would actually like value it, and therefore like it would get seen. So that was something I was validating, and that's why I did two posts there on for like with free content, the same the same exact content I do when I write the newsletter, which takes me like twenty hours or something like that. I did for free on Indie Hackers just to see if people find it valuable. I'm trying to think of what other things I tested. Oh, the big two in the market risk category were that people who were actively looking for business ideas care about this but like the inverse so people who aren't actively looking for business ideas will not want to buy this and that was a very valid Mm -hmm. uh assumption that came true so it actually really helped me find my best fit customer so when i talk to people they say hey this is really cool i say cool thanks like are you actively looking for your next idea and that really helps narrow down if i didn't have that i would be looking at this whole mess of people and all the people who said no and i'd say man this thing doesn't like (laughs) it's really hard for it to sell i have no like I have to go to 20 people to get it to sell. But since I have that like best fit customer, the nice thing, and like one of the reasons this has been successful is I can narrow down to people who are actively looking for their next idea. And those people convert like one out of three. It's way better. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 
I really like that. Like it, it almost gives you expectations too that, you know, if one of those people that aren't actively looking for an idea says no, it doesn't really bother you. And, and emotionally even, it's not like, oh man, this isn't going to work. These people are saying no, where I've felt like that a little bit with support man because, uh, well, basically I don't, I don't think I have a super a great idea of who that best fit customer is. Like I'm still looking for that. And since I'm still looking for that, when people say no, I don't necessarily know what the, like the reason why is, or I can't really make sense of it to be like, okay, obviously they should say no because they have, they don't have this problem or this. And, and so then it emotionally can mess up with yeah, me or mess with definitely. me. Definitely. <laughs> no, it's so useful to have that, which is why I reached out to you the other day and was like, hey, yeah, I listened yeah. to the pod, you know, the last episode. I listened to all your guys' episodes. And I was like, you know, the the customer that said no originally, like I get that you're saying they're like really the, the ideal customer from a uh, size perspective and maybe like some of their attributes of like how they care about customer support and things like that. But so a lot of times... Um, through all the customer right. interviews I did, the 35 or so, the the thing that helped me figure that out was who said no, and then looking at their shared group of attributes and saying all the people who are saying no, or at least like the vast majority are saying no, they didn't, they weren't actively like just trying to start their next business. They weren't like act like uh, they weren't ready to step up. Like there was a lot of people who were like, hey, I'd pay for this if it was nine dollars uh, a month, and I was like okay, tell me about yourself. And, and well, I didn't ask you like that, but they responded, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just curious. Like, this is interesting stuff. Like, I, I'm curious. So that told me, okay, well, people who are curious but not actively looking, they might eventually be an interested group if I have an offering for them, but they're not, they're not going to fit this price point. So right. I think that's something to think about, like, definitely as you keep going through, because you're at that, like, exploration stage, in my opinion. So as you keep right. going and talking to new people and the people who say no, especially, figure out what shared attributes they have and then look at what's the opposite of that. So that's why my, my, my yeah. best guess at that was, like, people who have bad, like, who are getting bad ratings, people who are, like, actively, consistently getting bad support ratings, they might be a really good fit for your metrics and they might be willing to pay to have that yeah, you know definitely. upfront. you know you're just talking about doing pre-sales did you actually have like those 10 out of 35 people pay you up front um yeah how did you do that so i've become a like religious zealot of pre-sales at this point i just think it solves <laughs> so many problems that indie hackers and bootstrappers have that like and it's it's an easy thing to to do really like mechanically speaking but people don't do it because it's a little scary. But the, the worst feeling like is building something for months and months and then releasing it and people want it. So they're like interested. And this was this was a lot of coder notes. Like, like oh, this is if you go look at the product hunt, the top comments be like, I've been waiting for this for so long. Like, thank God. And that person never even <laughs> signed up. So it's like yeah. uh, there's there's a lot That's of that. So people don't know what they want. And, you know, I I think what you do when you do pre-sales is you just get rid of that, that, that problem. There was one person I remember in the 35 who said, Hey, I'm really interested in this. This sounds awesome. And like, I would totally do it. I would totally sign up, totally pay. I'm like, cool. So it's, it's $19. Here's the link. And like, you know what? Like I'm really focusing on my other business right now. I don't have the money for it. I wasn't mad at them. I was like, oh, thank God I asked 
you know? So I know really that yeah. if they're going to pay or not when push comes to shove. So there is something to be said about a newsletter. It's a lot easier to ask for that, right? Because the the time between asking for the presale and the first product is a lot shorter than with something mm-hmm. like an MVP of a SaaS app. But it, I don't think that should steer people away from asking for presales for a SaaS app. I think the question becomes, do you want to build something where people are like, eh, I, you know, maybe if you can build it the way you, you say all the features are going to be, I'll, I'll pay you when it's out. Or do you want to focus down and eliminate any solutions like that and only work on a solution where people are saying, this is so valuable to me, I'll pay you now, even though it's not going to be ready for three months for me to even use the beta. And I, I just think it's a good clarifying thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see that a lot. You know, one of the reasons I think it makes sense is I, so, I mean, I've tried to start multiple businesses in the past and I think the hardest part obviously is getting money, getting people to pay for it. And so with you doing pre-sales, it's kind of bring that hardest part to the front so that you can just start on that right away instead of, you know, especially for like indie hackers, you know, software developers, people like building products. It's, it's, it's not, in some ways it's more fun to just like start building and get to that hard part later on. Um, but you're always going to get to that hard point at some point. So it's like, you might as well just start off with that just to see if you can get through it. So I, I like it in a lot of ways with that. Um, that's cool. But at, at the, at the same point, one of my kind of, I don't know, iffy like me doing that is basically not having a clear picture of what the product is maybe so like um i've asked multiple customers or or potential customers like what they would think about certain features and a lot of times what they'll respond is like basically like i need to see it to be able to understand like what that would be or what that would look like so i guess like how would you do that with maybe maybe a more complex product or a product that is hard for potential users to understand what it is. Yeah. I think for me, when customers give you features and I am talking about myself, uh, Ben from Playgroup, you can yeah. ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I give them way too many suggestions cause I'm, I'm just a fan of the software and we're using on <laughs> Mega Maker. But, but the reality is like customers coming with features at the end of the day, like they're coming cause they have, there's like a core problem. So it's that whole thing of like, okay, they came with a feature, extract out like why they need it, how they think they're going to use it, and then how it's going to solve that problem. So the the same way for that, I think you can't really go and say, hey, like, what do you think of this feature that I'm going to build? Because they're going to be like, I, I don't know. It, it's more talking about the, the problem, I think. And then, as you said, like you're narrowing down on exactly what that problem is. My my like my, my assumption or hypothesis or whatever, um, for you I could be completely wrong. Like that's the whole point of this. But my guess is, people who really need to get their support ratings up because they're they know they're bad but they can't track and they're not analyzing it or quantifying it properly. They need it more visible. That's the kind of thing. If you can go and do customer discoveries around that and say like, if you start finding those people who have bad like. Ray, they know they're bad, but they don't have a measure to say, like, tell me about that. Like, how is that affecting the company? And I think even, like, say you didn't have it built yet, but you were talking to one of those people and say, look, I'm going to make this, the product I'm doing, I'm thinking it's going to be in Slack. It's going to make it, like, way more visible for you. It's going to make it clear as day, um, not only, like, if you're underperforming, but at a more specific level. Like, we're going to create that visibility throughout your team from 
and hold people to a standard. Like, is that something that's going to solve that problem for you? I think that core thing is really what what you're testing when you're doing pre-sales. And you're saying, hey, if you if you if that mm-hmm. is your big problem, and you want to pay up front, you can be part of the direction of this thing. Like, if this is your problem, you're going to pay money to, you know, you're basically paying me as a consultant to shape the direction of the code and add on features as they make sense. But what you're doing is basically paying me money to say, that's a big enough problem that I'm willing to pay for it now to solve it. And then you don't have to test it, like you said, later down the road. Right. I'm curious to hear from you, Ben, do you think with Playgroup, like how would you have gone about asking for pre-sales? Is that something you could have done? What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. I think I've, I think we've briefly talked about that and I was, on I like I had a position that I still have today and that is it would have been pretty hard to go and just tell people about it without anything to show um mainly because you know like <laughs> and this is something I'm struggling with or I have been struggling with just this last week if I say hey it's a forum people get all those negative images of old forum software and you kind of have to differentiate what you have in your head, but it's really hard to get that image across to the people without being able to show anything at all. And that's also, be, I think, a little bit because it's kind of a complex product. And you can say that, hey, I'm structuring it in channels and threads, just like Slack, but then you go, and it's actually not really like Slack because channels don't get buried that easily. And um, so it's kind of hard to explain, actually. And I, that's that's where I feel it, it made sense to kind of build this, this MVP rather mm. quickly and then have this very unfinished product um, to show people um, and then just get a, get a general feeling if that is something they would be interesting, interested in or not and basically build on what they what they have to say about that very first version then. That's, that's kind of the way I did it. Maybe you remember, Noah, like very, very, very early on um, I had this, this click clickable demo basically which looked really awful and it didn't even have a back it was just front end html and css but i could show that to you and to other people and get some initial feedback on that and it was just a very very rough direction but i think it was very useful to to do it that way so yeah that was actually yeah and that didn't take you too long i don't think to build that yeah i did that in a day or two or whatever and then just showed it to people (laughs) so yeah that's actually that was what i was about to say like for a newsletter it's easier right people were coming to me and they had already seen my writing so what they were buying was more of my writing so in a sense i had a proof of concept I'm not saying to, uh, and thanks mm-hmm. for yeah helping me clarify this. I'm not saying, especially for SaaS, to go out and just say like, necessarily like here's the idea and no visual, no like anything. But you know, as you mentioned, like you could have taken that quick and dirty couple day MVP. Even I imagine someone who's not as technical as you, maybe if they just did some design work, you know, and threw up some screenshots and stuff, and take that and say, hey, here's the shape of this thing. It's yeah. super rough, but just enough so that people are, aren't going to be like, well, you're just telling me words. Like, it doesn't mean anything to me. But mm. basically getting to the point of asking people for money as quickly as reasonably possible lets you better evaluate an idea before you really full-on commit to it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I actually want to find that little thing and make a screenshot of that now. <laughs> yeah, do it before and after. <laughs> that would be kind of cool to see. Um, so... I- I have a little advantage that I can see this thread that you had going over the past month in the Mega Maker forum, where you basically tracked your progress basically every day, which is really nice to follow. And from that, I know that you have a little 
a little thing coming up about churn, right? Because uh, it is kind of hard to imagine that people will, you know, <laughs> like pay for this for three years to come. Um, yeah. So you probably have this situation where you need new people coming in. And um, I know you already started by selling quarterly subscriptions, I think, which is pretty smart. Um, so what's what's your plan in that regard? Yeah, thanks. So I've hit the point where I've applied what I've learned to this next thing, right? And now I'm at like some sort of growth. Like I found something and now I'm back in that stage of I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm going <laughs> to fail at it and then learn and probably like the next thing I'm going to be able to do this a, a good way. But um, here's my thoughts right now. So when you talk about churn, normally you're talking about monthly churn. So that was the idea behind the quarterly subscriptions you mentioned. That was one of the assumptions I tested was, well, will people be willing to buy this in quarterly chunks? And turns out very much so, which has been great for the reasons you mentioned, because people who are actively searching for a new idea don't stay actively searching for long. They're going to find something and then they're going to be working on that. So a quarterly subscription gives us a better, like, uh, churn rate because if everyone if no one ever renewed everyone unsubscribed as soon as they could our churn would still only be like 33 percent monthly churn as opposed to 100 percent churn yeah so that really helps and you know as you can imagine if only 50 percent of people uh renewed then we'd still it'd be something like 15 ish percent churn, churn which is getting back closer to a healthy range so that helps a lot the second part of that is i've been actively holding off on an annual subscription for the intention of trying to figure out how much churn is. Like if I offered annual right now, I'm sure a lot of people would take me up on that, but then I would have to wait a year to figure out how the churn rate of this, of this newsletter thing's looking. Like, and that's, that's no good. I need to know sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> what I'm gonna do is once I have a good idea, it's gonna be a couple quarters, I'll announce an annual subscription that will be just over the lifetime value of the average customer. So that way lifetime value increases, the value that the user's getting is way longer and they're getting a discount from the quarterly price. So it's kind of a win-win all the way around. And the third and final part to the churn, and that, this is all I think about. So <laughs> if you can oh, tell, yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> here's, here's, yeah. No, that's really smart. I like it. Um, thanks. Yeah. So the third, the third thing is the newsletters, the starting ground for this, but it wants to grow into something else and I can I, I feel like I'm barely even like controlling this thing but what people want out of this is almost like a premium subscription to some sort of like membership and it happens that this newsletter this like well-researched market research software idea newsletter is the first part of it that people are interested and willing to pay for but I'm imagining so this month the membership site comes out that's going to do some logistical things like give people an easy place to see the newsletter archive um, and also be able to like sort it by the difficulty of ideas because I don't know if you've seen a more recent newsletter, but I do different levels for the ideas based on whether yeah, they're yeah. like micro SaaS or like really ambitious projects. Um, it's also going to have links to some partners who are offering discounts on their software that help entrepreneurs get up and running. So these partners are really happy because they get more, you know, people coming in and buying. I'm really happy because it increases the value of the subscription and customers are happy because they're getting discounts on software that helps them grow their next business. So all oh, that's really cool. And also I imagine there's going to be a lot of bonus content, things like members only interviews with certain people. Um, I'm also imagining, like I have a couple ideas in mind. I want to write 
a list of 50 B2B marketplaces that people can post apps on. That one's been really interesting to people um, and do like interviews with people who have done apps on them. So Noah, stay, stay tuned. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Things like that. So the idea is to build up the value of this and over time. Oh, and then the last part would be to actually add a community aspect to it. So the idea is to build up the value of the subscription, make it like a longer lasting value than just people actively looking for business ideas. And that's kind of the medium term plan right now. And I think all of that is going to help decrease churn a lot. And then the flip side of, yeah, this is a group of people who are rapidly becoming like not actively looking for a SaaS idea, but the opposite's true too. There are always new people who are starting to look for their next software idea. So that's part of the reason growth's been so big. And I think it kind of balances out the fact that churn will also be kind of high. Yeah, that that sounds like a really good plan. Um, there's one other thing that I'm curious if you want to go in that direction, and that is making yourself a little bit more redundant, like um, eliminating your, your time spent on the product a little bit more. Yeah, it's funny to think about that, like, 26 days into the first of the project, right? It it's like, is. How do yeah, I it's like so early. No, but it's not that I haven't been thinking about it. So one of the reasons the writing works is is that I think I do a unique job of how I do the research. It's very like research driven and, and lots of links and references. And there's a, there's a model I'm applying to it, but it's also a little bit of intuition of like being in our circles. Like I think you guys could do it too, it's just a matter of like, I've always been kind of a nonfiction reader and a technical writer. So I have a, I have a mix of skills that are helping with this kind of thing. So especially with the newsletter, the big question is like, is this something that I can, like, it's a unique selling point. It's an unfair advantage that I can write it, but is the, is it a double-edged sword in that I can never automate it? And it takes a lot of time. I mean, this, I take, I take about 20 ish hours a week to, to write a single newsletter. So it's been a big struggle to find the time to do all this other stuff on top of it. So it's, it's definitely been a question. Like it's definitely, a, definitely one of the active mid, medium to long-term things I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's why I was kind of interested in that because you still have a full-time job on like a- Yep. Yep. <laughs> this is my lunch break. <laughs> so when you started Software Ideas, it kind of sounded like it kind of came out of you looking for your next your next thing, your next idea, right? So, I mean, even when you started Software Ideas, was this kind of like something you could see yourself doing for a long time? Or is it kind of like, I don't know, just kind of the next thing, something you do for a little bit just to try it out and test it out? Like, how are you thinking about that? You're talking about the the newsletter? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that I never, I didn't mean to start this product. So, like, I think I mentioned I was trying to do research for myself for my next software idea. And I was right. like, oh, this happens to be valuable to people. Like, yeah, so the databases I use to look up these companies are like $1,000 a year. So part of it was like, I just want to subsidize this cost, you know, because I want to do this research for myself. And it kind of morphed into this other thing. So now that I'm here, I'm in it for the for the long term, definitely. Like, I'm enjoying the traction. Yeah. And obviously, like, it's an easy product to enjoy helping the people that I'm serving because like I do happen to be one of them. All of that kind of, yeah, no, I'm in, I'm in this for definitely the long term. Uh, the question though is, does that mean that I have to be the one writing it in three years from now? It's like, no, probably not. Like I need to figure out how to keep the, keep the same value, but keep, make the process more automated. Uh, but that's all long term, long term stuff. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, you definitely have had a, a great start with it. So, I mean, I can only imagine where you could take it. It seems like there's definitely a lot of opportunity there. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It seems interesting. Uh, one thing I'm really excited for is uh, like I have some people who are starting to take some of these ideas and run with it now. So I'm really excited to have some case studies of people actually implementing these ideas. I, like, obviously, it's too soon for that right now, but that should be coming. And what I want to do eventually is I want some of the bonus content to be me taking one of these ideas and at the very least going through and doing the, like the validation and maybe getting some initial traction on it at least and and having that process, I guess not technically public, but like for the members and have that as part of the premium content. Because again, like my intention with it, with this was to find a, a idea for myself. So there's so many good ones like that have been glossed over by people, especially because the early issues, there weren't too many readers um, that I'm super excited about. And I'm kind of like, man, if I just had 20 more hours a week, I'd be working on one of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, some in some ways, when you're writing down some of these ideas, you know, because you're kind of coming up with them, are you kind of like in the back of your mind, like, man, should I should I put this one in? Like, maybe I should, <laughs> maybe I should leave this one for myself. Yeah, every single idea <laughs> I write about I, my my like uh, bar for it is would I actually be willing to go and and do this myself? Do I think it's good enough to like go go validate and go explore? Not necessarily like run with it because there's all this stuff you have to do beforehand. And talking about the biggest challenges from a more holistic view. Uh, well, to answer your question, first of all, yeah, like definitely, like when I write an idea, I'm like, oh, that's really good. And then someone writes me and is like, hey, I'm going to take this idea. I'm like, dang it, great, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> proud of you. I wanted to go back to Coder Notes a little bit just to get kind of your thoughts in comparison to software ideas. Like, how do you feel like, like, where do you think Coder Notes went wrong? And like, would you, like, if you to do that again, what would you do differently? I wrote a post on Indie Hackers, like the five things I learned. And I really spent a lot of time on it because it really was like the five things I took away. So if I pull it up here, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of rattle them off. So yeah, okay. here's here's what I think I did right this time and did wrong the first time. Like these are my big takeaways from from Coder Notes. The first one is treating positive like opinions or positive praise or compliments as validation, as opposed to actually I think you should think of them more now as red flags, like yeah, actual yeah. like warning signs. Um, because if someone's praising you for something, it means that you were like selling them and you weren't doing like mom test kind of stuff asking them about like their behavior and things like that so like i already said like the the product unlaunched so many people were like oh it's such a cool idea and and throughout uh people were like oh it's such a cool idea um but it's so easy let's let's get super like uh vulnerable here noah you reached out to me you were and by the way i can't say how grateful i am for like you checking it out early on coder notes you were one of the first few people to try the beta or maybe the alpha yeah that was yeah fun. <laughs> yeah i think so, so you reached out to me and fully transparent fully honest like hey i'm not ready to pay for this thing yet like it's not where it needs like it's not where it needs to be for me to spend money on it which was super useful feedback but as a founder sometimes the way you take that is like he said not yet it's like two more features away and he's totally gonna pay <laughs> um and that's just like that's just how our brains work to a for a large part so for me, a lot of like a lot of the lessons were in was like, like stop looking at the words people are saying. Like start focusing on the actions people are taking. If they're paying you money, if they're signing up, pushing all this stuff to the forefront, like 
of asking someone for, I think in the mom test, Rob Fitzpatrick talks about it's either money or it's reputation risk. I think he has a third thing he says, but basically if they're not giving up something, then you don't have, you don't have something yet. Then, then you shouldn't take what they say as truth. Yeah. So so that's a big, that's a big first one. The second one is kind of in the same vein. I said, just be wary of email signups. Like you hear all the time about, oh, I have a thousand email signups. Well, if they convert at 5%, then I'm going to get this amount of sales and yada, yada. And it all sounds good. And maybe those are true averages. But my experience was I built an email list. I was super happy with it. And I was sending out updates and all the active stuff. And then when push came to shove and I was like, hey, you can buy now. I think like, like no one did. Like maybe one, I think one person did out of like some hundred, a hundred or whatever. And I was, I was disappointed. So that was a lesson learned. Like, don't trust your email list. Don't apply some out of the sky conversion rate to how it's going to sell because it's probably, probably wrong and you shouldn't be counting on that. The third one we already talked about, which the whole scratch your own itch thing. Like it's great to build a scratch your own itch product. If it's like the product you want to see in the world and then you make it, that's a really cool experience. Like I love using coder notes. I use it every day. I'm not going to shut it down. But for a business, it's not necessarily the right, I don't think personally, I don't think anymore it's the right way of going about finding a business opportunity. Uh, the fourth was, I called it the product is one third of the product. Basically, I thought that as a software developer, I thought software development was the most important part of a product. I thought that was like the thing. And it turns out that like having a viable market and knowing that you have reliable channels you can use to reach people and then marketing and selling to them, that's all the like, those are the two other big pieces of the puzzle and those all need to be functioning to have a business. Otherwise, you just have a product that you just developed. And, and the product, I think I wrote this recently too, like the, the product is just the prerequisite so that you can start doing like sales and marketing and growing that and having channels. So, so that was a big takeaway too. Yeah. That, and the last one was basically for bootstrappers specifically, for indie hackers and bootstrappers, don't go building something that you have to explain to people what it is and why it's valuable. Like, uh, the, I think that the silly little example I gave was like, if someone's hungry for an apple and they're like, they really like uh, red delicious apples, a banana salesman could go up to them and be like, hey, here's a banana. It's better for you, yada, yada. I don't know if that's true or not, but like, here's all the reasons it's better. And they, they might buy, but it would have been such an easier sell if you were selling apples, um, especially the type of apples they mm-hmm. care about. So I think with Coder Notes, like one of, the, one of the confusing things, like I had this vision in my head of, well, Coder Notes helps people get unstuck. It helps developers get unstuck. So in that sense, it's like Stack Overflow. So it's a competitor with Stack Overflow. But... The reality is most developers don't don't take notes when they code. Like that's not part of their behavior. They're not referring to these things. Like they'd rather Google it or use Stack Overflow. Like that that is their behavior. So trying to force them into behavior change, trying to sell them a banana when they're looking for an apple, it's it works. Like if you have the marketing dollars, like you can do it. But I don't think for bootstrappers, it's a great idea. Yeah, I was gonna say like you know maybe that's something that's possible if you're like a venture backed company and you know a lot of startups that are kind of going in a new space like they're going to have to do that and but you know that's going to cost them a lot of money but yeah i agree like for a bootstrapped company indie hackers like probably not a good idea yeah i do know that so in 
um, Arvid Cow with Feedback Panda, he did talk about, I know in his book, a little bit of some of, a lot of his customers didn't necessarily know uh, that they needed his solution um, just because they just didn't really think of it. They were just kind of used to doing manual, writing manual feedback. Um, and so he did have to kind of tell them that, you know, hey, you can do this a lot faster with my tools and this will really help. Like there is a problem there. So I, I don't know, there is a little bit of that, um, but I think it, maybe like you're saying, it, it it's different in that, you know, software developers have been doing this for, you know, years where they don't really write notes and things like that, where uh, Arvid Cal's situation with the, this, the teachers, uh, you know, they were all kind of new to what they were doing. And so maybe they're still kind of figuring out the best processes to do those things. It was on new platforms. Yeah, there's definitely, I think, a pretty good line you can draw with your takeaway there. Um, but it, it is always hard when things get a little gray, like, you know, in different situations. Um, but yeah, I, I like yeah, it for sure. It's so, it can always be so gray. But let me um, clarify one part on that last point, too, which is th- I'm talking about, when I'm talking about the apple and banana, I'm talking about being like the problem, right? So if you're talking about, Actually, Arvid Call, I did reach out to him about this, funny enough, and he said that most of his customers were problem aware. They knew that no, like doing all this feedback sucked. Right? They knew it wasn't like efficient. It kind of mm-hmm. was a waste of time. They weren't getting paid for it. Most weren't solution aware, but the most engaged of his customers were. They knew that they needed a mechanism for creating this feedback. I guess what I'm trying to say, not coherently at all, is that first off, like I don't think anyone should make something that's a problem that doesn't need to be solved. That's obviously like not good, but right. find trying to convince someone they have a problem. That's really what I'm talking about. That's really what I'm talking about avoiding. You don't you don't want to convince someone they have a problem. Uh, I think I my understanding is that when he reached out to his customers and said, "Hey, like this sucks," and did you know there could be a better way? The the conversation wasn't like, "Well, tell me why it sucks." It was like, "Oh yeah, it does suck. Like, show me your better way." So so I think that's yeah, what I'm trying yeah. to get people to avoid. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Do you think, kind of looking back, if you did things differently with Coder Notes, that you know that a product similar to that could exist and and work if you if you approach it a different way, or do you think you've kind of showed like this isn't something that can work? Yeah, it's interesting because because at the end of the day, like I don't know where you guys fall on this, but my opinion is the idea matters a lot. It's not the only thing, but it matters a lot. Uh, execution is really important. So I'm not sure that someone else couldn't go and execute on this a lot better than I did and actually go and make, you know, coder notes into the Stack Overflow competitor I thought it could be. But I do think that the more important takeaway from my story with that is if I if I could go back and redo it, I would have done the validation up front. And the answer would have almost consistently been, no, I'm not not really willing to pay for like a, a note solution. I have too many free note solutions. And I probably would have said, oh, okay, crap. Like the average developer doesn't care about this. Is there a type of developer who cares about this? Maybe I haven't done the research to figure it out. Or more importantly, maybe there's something else in a similar vein that developers really do care about. And that could be the product. So I think the takeaway isn't necessarily that I could go back and do it better, but that I, sh- I should have done things in the beginning to pivot the product up front, basically, by asking for, by getting the right type of validation. 
I I agree. Cool. Actually, I have <laughs> I am still the owner of a domain called Snipplify. <laughs> you know, which is like this <laughs> mix of Snippet and Simplify because I've tried something similar. Um I never I never really tried to sell it. I kind of built it for myself as well. But then quickly realized that there aren't like it's not even in my workflow to uh to, to take notes really that that much and that's kind of what told me that I shouldn't pursue mm. it in a way. So I'm totally with you uh, on that. <laughs> yeah, and and like I said, don't get me wrong. Like I use it every day. It is my workflow. Like it is ideal for me. And there are customers on it, and that's I'm not shutting it down. It's it is going on life support for the time being while I focus on this. But I'm not shutting it down. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, there are people. So the fact that there are some people says, hey, maybe there's something like I could go and find their shared attributes of like the pain that is really solving for them. And if I could figure out how to reach them, then maybe there is something there. But I've had to make the decision of, you know, do I focus on the thing that's like obviously a good place to focus or go th through sunk cost fallacy and say, well, I really like this thing. Like I want it to be more <laughs> successful. So let me like pull levers that aren't there to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd be pushing uphill all the time. Yeah. While on the other side of the hill, the stone is already rolling. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, it has been great to hear your story and you know it's just awesome to see someone in our community like you know have some success like you're having with uh, software ideas and so that's just great to see um, and, and we're excited to see where you, where you take it it sounds really interesting and I, li I like your plans for it so keep it going yeah thanks man and more exciting than my product I think at least for me is watching both of you so I have my eyes very tightly looking at both of you uh oh <laughs> <laughs> uh oh there's you can't pressure. stop doing Watch your out, podcast man. like I accidentally did. You know, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> I got that feature we were talking about lined up for tomorrow. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. Well, I'll be checking it out. I'll be sure to send pages on pages of feedback. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> All right, listeners, we'll definitely check out Kevin with SoftwareIdeas.io. Uh, I think it'll be helpful for you, especially if you're looking for idea. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and uh, we'll talk to you in another one. See you next week. Bye.